reason for the hope that you have. And I'm realizing one of the reasons that people are going to ask you to give a reason for the hope that you have is they're watching how you handle suffering. They're watching your reaction because they themselves are suffering in some way. They've suffered in the past. They have loved ones that are suffering. They know that suffering will come their way. They're looking for ways to handle suffering. And so before we turn to a passage that we're going to look at today outside of Peter, I just wanted to give you a big picture overview. And I'm going to go through this quickly, but we've talked about most of these things. And we're stepping back and saying, hey, what about suffering? It's part of this fallen world. Jesus suffered most, suffered sinlessly, and suffered redemptively. Peter said, it's no surprise when anyone faces suffering of any kind. Suffering is no respecter of persons. It's common to all who are living. Suffering shows no favoritism or regard for position or status. Suffering for the Christian offers unique opportunities to rejoice in sharing Christ's sufferings, to be shaped, to be grown, the crucible, the quarry, the lab, the potter's wheel, getting a perspective that there's suffering itself doesn't have a purpose. It's whose hands the suffering is in. God will bring and allow things in our life called trials. The same word trial is the same word tempting, the same interaction with the idea of pressure and suffering. In the hands of Satan, he tempts us to destroy us. God tests us to display us, tests us to prove us, tests us to improve us. And so we learn humility, compassion, capabilities. And then we have a testimony to give to those who ask us, how are you handling that situation? What are you doing with all the things that crop up in your mind? With all the opportunities for revenge and uh, blame shifting? What do you do with all that? And so there's choices. And choices have consequences. And Peter tells us clearly, don't suffer for being a meddler or a thief or a murderer. If you do suffer, suffer as a Christian. And so there's the big picture. The suffering is nothing to be shamed of in verse 16 of chapter 4. And then he ends up with that great verse in Peter 4.19. Commit yourself to God. And the idea is Jesus hanging on the cross. Use the same word, the Greek, same word of committing. It's the idea of entrusting yourself to God, taking whatever it is you're facing at this moment, whatever burden you're carrying, whatever trial you're walking through, taking it and stepping back and saying, hey, I have a responsibility and a privilege by the grace of God to react differently to the pressure I'm under. What is the possibility that this pressure could expose in me? And if it exposes weakness and immaturity, Praise God. If it, if it exposes silver and gold, praise God. But don't get high and mighty and proud because there's more coming. He tests us to display us, to improve us and grow us so that someday 
we can be shining forth as gold in the test that will come in the future. It's interesting if, you, uh, if you're looking at Scripture, you can step back and say, here's Peter. In, I drew a little circle around the book of 1 Peter. And then I drew a, a little line and I put 1 James, or James chapter 1. Then I put Romans chapter 5. Then I put 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 5. And Philippians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians, the whole book. And I realized they're suffering all the way through the New Testament. And then I thought, you know what? This has to be anchored somewhere. And I went to the Old Testament out of all the places you could go. So here's where I want you to open your Bibles. We're going to camp for a little bit in Psalm 34. And Psalm 34 just gives us a beautiful picture of a, a biblical perspective that doesn't just belong in the New Testament, but it's a biblical p- perspective that on suffering that's been part of God's people's lives for a long, long, long time. And I want us to, I've been uh, asking myself, do I believe this? Do I understand this? What more can I learn as I get perspective? And so when we go through these verses, I would invite you um, to maybe jot a note there so you can go back and ponder and pray on some of these things. We don't have nearly enough time this morning to let the Word really do its work in us. So let's go through this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole psalm, the 22 verses, and then I'm going to come back and just make some comments on the verses. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear it and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all our bones He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked, 
the foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. This past week, as I was studying, one of the reasons I enjoyed this psalm so much this past week was because it confronts the, looking for the right word here, the naive, the ignorant perspective and worldview that Christians shouldn't have or won't have, don't have any troubles. And so when I came across 19 especially, and we're going to go back to the beginning, but look at verse 19 again. A righteous man may have many troubles. I took a pause. Because if you're a Christian, you're striving to follow Jesus, striving to grow in your Christian walk. And maybe sometimes like you, you're wondering, why? Why do I bump into all these hurdles and hiccups? Does it mean I'm wrong? Does it mean I'm not righteous? Does it mean I'm not seeking God's face? Could be. But a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And just the fact that, yes, you're going to go through things. And sometimes we're trying to figure out things that are beyond our figuring and step back in the big picture. We're living in a fallen world. There's a good God and a bad, evil devil. And then there's us. And we're on a journey. And we're figuring these things out. And we're putting our faith and our trust in the Lord as they did all the way along. Psalm 34, verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. Really? Really? I will extol the Lord at all times? Or just the good times? Just the times when things are going my way. This is David writing. When he was, the little title for my chapter 34 says, David, when he was faking being insane um, before Abimelech. And at that time, Abimelech had the power to kill him. And so David used his common sense as a way to get out of that situation. But I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And the question to me for myself is, really? Really, Chris, can you say this? Is this part of your prayer? Is this part of your life? Do I get in times and seasons when my life is so good and there's such flat ground I'm traveling on, mostly downhill, there'll be maybe days, hours, weeks, months. Um, I haven't been to the throne. I haven't been to the foot of his throne to worship him and praise him because things were too good. Maybe it's days, weeks, hours. I'm wondering, when will this end? And I'm constantly praying, and you're constantly praying, asking God, when will you answer? When will you deliver? I will extol the Lord at all times, in the good times and the bad times, in the happy times and in the sad times. 
My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear it and rejoice. We're watching each other as an encouragement to each other, as support to each other, and people that we bump into that don't know the Lord. And maybe they're searching for the Lord and they don't even understand it yet, but they're watching. And David understood that. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. In verse 3, but he's inviting people to glorify the Lord with him at all times because of verse 2. The afflicted will hear it and rejoice. Possibly, very possibly, the way you react to the pressure that's going on in our world right now, the things that occupy your free time, the things that occupy your conversation, People that are afflicted, and that word just means touched, pressured. It, it, it has a wide variety of uses, but they're basically stirred up and agitated. Will they hear? What will they hear from us? What will they see in our lives as we back to the life around us? My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me. From all my fears. My question again is, why does he need deliverance? He needs deliverance because he's in trouble. He needs deliverance because he's human. He needs deliverance because he's living in a fallen world. He needs deliverance because he can't deliver himself. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. So I'm thinking King David, courageous King David, who started being going to battle with animals when he was just a shepherd boy, and now he's the king of Israel. I don't know at what point in his journey, 40, 50, 60, however old he was when he wrote this, but he dealt with fears, apparently. And he called out to the Lord, and the Lord met him. And if you watch his life from point uh, when we first meet him as a shepherd boy to where he's a king, transferring the kingdom to his son Saul, there's many ups and downs in David's life. Many opportunities for fear, pain, sadness, glory, joy. And he's a human being just like us. And we have the privilege to have a window into his life. Verse 5, those who look to him, talking about God, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. It's interesting that Peter says, don't be ashamed of your suffering. In chapter 4 there, there's a little in between the verses there. It says, don't be ashamed of your suffering. It's going to be part of this life. The devil will try to shame you. People might try to shame you. Your own mind might try to shame you. But those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Their faces are never covered with shame when they're looking to him. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, shame and blame was one of the first consequences of the fall. And maybe you've been living under shame and blame. Well, lift your eyes. Lift your face. Because it says those who look to him not looking at our problems, looking above and beyond our problems, looking to him, their faces are never covered with shame. 
So what are we seeing when we're looking at each other in the midst of the struggle? Are we seeing a Christian whose eyes are fixed on Jesus? A Christian who's looking to him who judges justly? A Christian who's entrusted and committed their lives to the Lord? Or are they going to see one who has little or no answer just like they do? Verse 6, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. You know, I'm not sure the perspective David had there as one of the richest people on the earth at the time to call himself a poor man. Was he thinking financially? Was he thinking about the, all the gold? Or was he thinking about poor in my ability to reach the throne room? Poor in my ability to keep my eyes fixed on God through these difficult times. Poor in the sense of humble and acknowledging my need. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Somebody had said that um, when God has you in the furnace, he has his hand on the thermostat and his eye on the clock. The big picture, God didn't leave us. We're cooking. There's edges that need to be chipped off. The potter on the potter's wheel is constantly adjusting what he's working on, and then he puts it into furnace. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. You have the theme of being delivered and deliverance. What does that look like? I mean, we do have the story in the prophets when Elijah said, open the eyes of the servant, and he saw all around the angels of God surrounding them. The, Lord, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Not fear the angel, but those who fear the Lord. How could we walk with more confidence in God? How could we walk with more assurity in our step if we recognize that God is for us, not against us? And not only God, but he has charge of the angels and they encamp around those who fear him. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I was in the garden the other day, picking up some of the last little bits of uh, vegetables, and my little granddaughter was with me, and she was just picking things at random. And she didn't know the difference between a weed and a, the vegetable. And she grabbed this little tiny green tomato and says, Grandpa, can I eat this? And I said, well, yeah, you can eat it, but I'm not sure you want to. Why don't you taste it? Why don't you test it? So I'm thinking she maybe take a little tiny bite and just puncture the skin so she could get the flavor. But no, she just chomped it. And then uh, it, was, it was hard. It wasn't ready. It wasn't ripe. I'm not sure. I mean, some people might like green tomatoes. She obviously didn't. But the idea of tasting is 
is to step out. It's to begin. It's, it's part of this opportunity that, you know what? You're going to fail. I'm going to fail. But there's a taste and see that the Lord is good. He doesn't fail. So whatever you're carrying, step up and, in a sense, give it off to God. Taste the atmosphere. Taste Him. Taste what He's going to do with the situation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. And the word refuge makes no sense unless there's pressure. We need a refuge because there's pressure. There's turmoil, there's trouble, there's suffering, there's trials. Do you take refuge in him? If you take refuge in him, you will indeed see that he is good. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. It's interesting in the Sunday school class this morning that uh, Tim was considering what it says in 1 Corinthians where it says that God gives gifts to the church and the church will lack nothing. Is, so when we see lack in our life, is that from our perspective? And we need to review the situation and say, if there's anything we lack, because it says it several times in the Psalms, that he who fears the Lord lacks no good thing. So if we're seeing the lack, is it from our perspective is it from God's perspective? Do we need to reevaluate the situation? Do we trust the scripture and say, well, I'm going forward here. And if I don't have it with me at the time, it will come if I need it by God's grace. If he sees that I need it, he's watching the situation. He's covering the situation. Corey Ten Boom, when she was a little girl, uh, had some difficulties that she was going through at the time and she went to her dad and said dad i'm all upset about this situation and he said "Corey, when we're taking a trip when does your dad give you the ticket your ticket she thought about it for a minute and she goes well not until i need it that's exactly how your father treats you and i when you need it that's when he meets us but he brings us to that point in need so that we can see that he is, in fact, the deliverer. And maybe you're in a situation where you're feeling stress and you're saying, oh, I can't take any more of this. God knows. His hand is on the thermostat. His eye is on the clock. He knows exactly how much time we need for this step of the journey, for this particular growth that he's bringing about in our life. That's what we have to do. We have to just trust that that verse is true. Those who fear him lack nothing. Those who don't fear him fear everything else. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. They lack nothing and they lack no good thing. So maybe you've been seeing your life from a perspective of just lack. And you say, wait a minute. Before you start to think that God is withholding on you because he's mean, because he's capricious, because he doesn't like you, you should step back and say, what good gift am I on the edge of discovering if I put my hope and my faith and my trust in God in this situation, the situation simply provides an opportunity 
for us to gain perspective, to see a different picture of ourselves and God. Verse 11, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Think about that as you parents. This is a profound opportunity. When you're going through something, bring your kids in. Give them a little insight. Be wise about what you share with them and the level of the difficulty you might be facing. But here, David invites them, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Do we teach them the fear of the Lord when we're in the midst of the crucible? When we ourselves are in the midst of the, the pressure of life, that there someday, they're not carrying it now, but if they're going to grow and go forward, they will be carrying it. So you give them a, a little glimpse. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, again, is perspective that God's in charge. God's the creator. He's the maker. God's world. God's rule. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days must keep his tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Simply make a commitment to tell the truth. Make a commitment to tell the truth in your life and evaluate when you're speaking with people. And uh, communication is not simply verbal. Your body language, your facial expressions, your tone of your voice, when you're speaking, when you're communicating, when the message of life or death is coming from you, don't speak lies. Speak the truth. Verse 14, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Again, the responsibility we have as individuals who have been given a mind and been given the opportunity to learn and to grow, you make a choice. You turn from evil. You do good. You seek peace, and you pursue it. And you pursue it, and you pursue it, and you pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. I'm wondering, as a, as, a, as a new mom or a new dad, you probably didn't know the compelling force of a baby's cry. You can't not respond. We have a Father in heaven. The Bible tells us many places he hears the cries of his people. He responds. What are your cries for? Is it to know him more, to worship him more, to honor him more? Or are you crying because you got your feelings bumped up against and you didn't get your way? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and he hears. His ears are attentive to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. Makes you shudder a little bit. God doesn't placate evil. He deals decisively with evil. The greatest picture of him dealing decisively with evil is in the suffering and death of his own son to pay the price for sin. 
Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. I stopped to ponder the word all. All my troubles, all of our troubles. Really, Lord, you know about them, you care about them. And we can be thankful that it's not like the genie from the movie where you just rub the little lamp and the genie appears to do whatever you want done. He's a God with wisdom and holiness and righteousness. His deliverance will be at the right time under the right circumstances for our good. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I've been stopped in my tracks sometimes when I get a phone call and I need to go. Let me rephrase that. Stopped in my tracks when I get a phone call and I have the opportunity and the privilege to go care for someone. Stopped in my tracks because I'm realizing I'm inadequate for this job. What do I do? How do I help them? How do I encourage them? How do I lift them? Well, I understand that God's there before I am. He's close to the brokenhearted. He's close to those who are in need. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So I have the privilege to go there and walk into the room and say, Lord, what are you already doing here? And how can I be your hands and feet in the situation where you've already been? And you know this person's story. You know everything they've ever been through. There's not a tear that they ever shed, a worry that they've ever had, a hope that you don't know about. How can I bring words and comfort and care to this situation, knowing that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted? Verse 19, which covered verse 20, he protects all his bones, not one of them were broken. You know what? This, pond, this bothered me for a long time, this little verse. Because I know people who are good people who've had their bones broken. This verse is directed right toward Jesus Christ. He protects all his bones, but he spilt all his blood. Not one of his bones were broken. It says that several times in Scripture but he spent all of his blood. He gave his life fully. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned, both in the future tense there. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. Father, we just thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have to be molded and shaped by your word through the circumstances that we encounter, through the ups and downs of this journey that we're in. God, we have an opportunity to ponder seriously our place in your hands. The things that come at us and the fact that you are for us, not against us. 
And that suffering doesn't have a mind, we do. And we have opportunities to react to it and to turn to you, to entrust our lives to you, to commit our lives to you, to ask for your help in each and every situation. And Father, we just thank you for your grace, your goodness, love, your care, and your mercy. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So at this time, we're going to have a couple of, uh, move into just a time of worship again. And you'll be thinking about your prayer requests. And then we'll share some prayer time together and we'll be done.